as, as we start this morning, um, I'm going to pray first, get going. Uh, but as, as I mentioned to you guys, we just came back from men's retreat. And um, uh, I was going to actually do a little closeout thing at men's retreat. Uh, but then I woke to find out like three, seven-eighths of the men had already left men's retreat. And it was going to be a lonely closeout for four of us in the room. So um, I'm going to start off my time by kind of just kind of giving a, a short closeout thought to our men that were there. And it's kind of a little more testimony in my heart. So uh, odd sermon coming today because uh, I'm kind of starting with just a little bit of a devotional thought. All right, so let me pray and start us. Father, thank you for our time today. And I ask that you'd help us by your spirit. Um, you love us and you're full of compassion for us. And you understand us and you, uh, you bless us so richly and deeply. And you help us in our weakness. And your spirit has been given to us to um, lead us and guide us to write your ways upon our heart. So I pray that you'd help us this morning as we look at, look at your word, um, help our minds to be sharp and our hearts to be very soft to what you have to say. And I pray you'd be with me and with all of us, Lord, in our various levels of fatigue and uh, moms who held down all the forts yesterday without dads and dads who didn't sleep and uh, everything between that. Uh, Father, be with us in our weakness and be great and strong for us. In Christ's name, amen. So the thing I want to start off by sharing was um, with, our, with our men. I was, I was sitting around last night in, um, around our campfire, made out of vi- vigorous and copious amounts of hardwood. Um, and I was, I was listening to uh, just a couple people talk, and we, had these, we did these announcements. or these, Sorry, we did these inter- introductions around the campfire, and everyone kind of shared who they were and what they did for work and those kind of things, what kind of ice cream they liked and some other neat things. And um, it just struck me like uh, uh, yesterday. So ladies, I'm just, just give me a pass. I'm not going to talk to you for a second. I'm just going to talk to the guys. Um, it just struck me uh, around that campfire just like how many unique and beautiful and wonderful, powerful creations of the Lord were sitting around that campfire last night. Um, such intense like works of the Lord, you guys. Such incredible intelligence and excellence in your fields. All kinds of fields. Um, such unique giftedness, and I just thought, man, like what a uh, an unusual, unusual group of, of men. And um, and I was just thankful. And then I, I was kind of noticing too the, the separations of age. There's a couple of us old crusty boogers at the top. That's 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 you and me, Chris and Molesbury. <laughs> Eagle, I'm sweeping you into that too. And um, and there's a bunch of younger guys, like you know, teens and twenties. And, 20s and uh, um, Mark and I were talking at one point in time, and, and, I, and I just remember, um, I, I guess I was looking at this group of men and like just the, just the vast potential of just raw, spirit-led horsepower and giftedness that was just there. And, um, and I, I was thinking, you know, um, and the beauty of it, as, I've just see, as, I, as I see God unfold people's mission in front of them and their unique giftedness and how life-giving it is, how satisfying it is, and how like astoundingly like beautiful it is to watch it um and then i also was talking to some folks and we were we were thinking that some of our guys have not yet experienced that haven't really figured out their giftedness haven't really figured out their mission and i just thought i would mention this um back in 1995 i was uh, a graduate from college gone through bible college i wasn't a bible major i was a business major guy and i've done all these kind of things mission trips and back and forth and and the Lord uh, was with me and led me to Alaska where I'm working as a guide out in the middle of the wilderness. And I'm sitting on the shore um, with a little birch campfire cooking one hot dog over a stick 
overlooking this lake in a certain spot that I know exactly is on the map. And I was just really broken because um, I, I, didn't, I, I just didn't know where I was going. Um, I, I saw some giftedness. I'd some been affirmed with some giftedness. But at that time, I didn't even like, I really, outside of my mom and my dad and one or two people that were writing me in, Al- in Alaska because it was 95 and we didn't have email or anything like that. Um, and this was way beyond cell coverage for rap. Um, I just felt forgotten, like literally forgotten my humanity. I'm like, Lord, what do you want me to do? What have, you, have you given me any gifts? Do I have any abilities? Do you have someone that would eventually love me as a wife or kids? Like, I didn't know any of that. And I'm just sit, I sat there in like this long time of cooking this gourmet hot dog, or someone calls sausage, um, over, this, over this fire. And, um, and um, there's no answer in that day. I'm pouring out my heart before the Lord. Pouring out my heart for the Lord just all by myself in the middle of nowhere. And, um, and within the next year, uh, fast forward a year forward, um, I have, uh, the, the whole scene has changed. God has made clear, like, what my giftedness was. And he's, I've been hired into a ministry where I'm in charge of 125 guys. I've, um, I've, I've met Melissa then at that point, too. Like, just within one year, all this stuff has changed, you know? And, um, and I just want to say to you, you guys that haven't really sensed clarity from the Lord about how you're gifted or the sense of your mission, like the first phase of our lives in walking with Jesus often involves us just being faithful to the essentials. And those essentials never f- change. You read and pray God's word um, as, as Rutan taught us, this f- spiritual formation, chasing after the Lord. And so you chase the Lord in word and prayer. You get amongst his people and you learn how to love them and be loved. I mean, get in there, woven in. Don't show up on a Sunday, just like it, get woven in amongst God's people. And then you turn your radar on to look for mission as God has put in front of you. Who are the souls that he's putting you next to, that you live next to, that you work next to? All those kind of things. Go on mission trips, whatever. Have your radar on and just be centered in the basics. There's usually a season where you're just growing in the basics of it, but it's not basic growth. It's, it's robust and rich growth. And then in due time, the Lord will reveal your specific giftedness and reveal to you probably your sense of, of mission. And there's like a freedom in that. As the Lord opens your eyes to that, you see how you've been geared and how God's gifted you and, and, and all of a sudden becomes aware because wasn't, I wasn't aware to it one year and all of a sudden I am aware to it the ne- next year. It's liberating and it's actually so, um, we talked about besetting sins at ministry. It is so um, Un, unpinning sometimes of besetting sins because sometimes our besetting sins are there because we don't engage in the mission God has given us. We've been looking for it. We're looking for it in funny ways and we don't have that outflow of mission. And often when I see men particularly chasing the Lord and God opens up their giftedness and opens up their mission field, there's a whole new day of growth in their life as they pour out in these areas. So when I was 20 Two, I'm sitting on the shore of a lake cooking a hot dog, lost as all can be, and don't think anyone even remembers my name. And I'm 23, and all of a sudden I'm in the, in the middle of this storm of all kinds of stuff. And it did something to my mind. I experienced a whole new level of growth as God did that. Not only he opened it up to me, but there was a new heart for me that was focused and driven. Um, it's a, allowed me stability when I met Melissa, because until that point, if I met Melissa knowing her would have taken me off my game. I would have liked her too much, right? That she would have, her and our relationship would have shaped my life too much. 
But when God opened that up to me and understood my, my giftedness and my mission and those kind of things, like those words of Jesus, like it set his, his, his face was set like a flint. I experienced that more. I'm not saying perfect, but more like I get it. And like my heart became like hungry for it. In some sense, bad term here, I became a little like a predator at that point. I was no longer just bouncing around like a minnow. I became a bass that day. And so um, I would encourage you, I would encourage you, be faithful in the essential. Grow in Jesus with each other on the missions God's given you and look out. And the rest of us are going to be looking at you to try to understand your giftedness and to affirm that and to sharpen it. Teach you how to understand God's word. Teach you how to interact with people. Teach you how to uh, guide people. Teach you how to teach. Teach you how to care for people. So I just want to say, be of courage and be faithful in the basics. Looking forward to how God has guided you, how he's he's geared you for mission and to be able to lock into how God's given you. So that is the end of my men's retreat thing. All right, now we're in our text. All right. So here we go. We're in um, in Matthew chapter 4. And I want to apologize to you guys. I don't have a slideshow today, so you just have to listen and not look. You can gander upon my, my beauty, but I don't even have a slideshow. I just have a title. Today is the third of three sermons on the temptations of Jesus. I think there's a lot of you in the room that haven't been here. So I'm just going to read through the temptations of Jesus and uh, try to explain it on the fly. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 to 11 is where I was gonna re- I'm going to read. Ben, thank you for reading the end of it. I'm just going to read all of it just to bring us up to speed. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit to the wilderness. Then being right after Jesus was baptized by John, and the Father said, This is my beloved Son, whom I'm well pleased. The Spirit comes down on him, declaring authoritatively that Jesus isn't just a mere man. Jesus is the Son of God. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So the Spirit of God in Jesus leads him, like he'll lead us, but led him specifically into not pleasure, but into hardship for a purpose, to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. So we've learned from weeks prior that this passage here is unique because really it is a picture. The Old Testament, where the 40 years of wandering where the the Son of God, Israel, wanders for 40 years and faces temptation and fails. It's a precursor and an Easter egg and a hint that someday the real Son of God, Jesus, would come and he would fast for 40 days in the wilderness and be tempted and win. And we know this of parallel because Jesus responds to Satan three times. Every time he responds, he's quoting the sermon given by Moses at the end of the 40-year wandering, correcting Israel. So he's making the parallel connections there. So the first one, Satan comes to Jesus and says to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Why? Because Jesus is hungry. That's what happens when you fast for 40 days. And Jesus answered, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Satan's trying to tempt him by his temporary needs. Jesus rebukes Satan. He says, no. He explains the reason for which he will not do that. Because he says, my real needs are not the temporal things in front of me. My real needs are what the Father gives. Every word proceeding out of the mouth of the Father. Second phase. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on pinnacle of the temple. Really high spot right there in Jerusalem. Very, very key public spot of worship. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, 
Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. So quoting a, a prophecy from the book of Psalms, trying to coax Jesus into, since you are the Son of God and you have this right, why don't you take your glory right now? Toss yourself off so this prophecy is fulfilled, the angels scoop you up, and people are like, whoa, did you see that? I haven't seen a scribe do that in a while, right? So why don't you do this? Gain your name. And Jesus says to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And the third time, which is today, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So I want to walk through in, in kind of a brief way, and then take an, an, just an oddball curve that kind of came as, as uh, we were at men's retreat, and I was reviewing my notes last night, um, and walk us through this passage. It's third one on, on the temptation. In verse 8, we see that the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. There is no mountain on earth where you can see all the kingdoms and their glory, right? So this, while the last one was probably actually a physical transportation being taken to the pinnacle of the temple where he would physically throw himself off, that's the, that's the temptation, and be captured by angels and protected. This one here probably is a vision. It's happened other times in Scripture where someone has taken... Um, like in the book of Revelation, taking him to a high mountain to get an overview and to see something very broad and very wide. So a vision, um, apparently in the vision or in the mind of Christ, there is, as there is no mountain, he takes him there, and this is a unique and first-class tempt, uh, tempting of Satan against his great foes. So this is the last, this is the last one. This is, you know, Satan's go all in on this one here. And he's trying to... Um, using this vision to grant temptation to affect perception, to, 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 to move Jesus into action. And he wants to tempt him for something different, which is the topic of dominion or rule. And we see Jesus do something that he does two times before. He answers Satan with Scripture. So the temptation Jesus faces here is far greater than any temptation you will ever face or I will ever face. And Jesus, the perfect Son of God, who is God and who is man, when he himself is facing the greatest temptation, the tool he has to use is Scripture. He memorized Scripture, deployed Scripture. So we've talked for a couple weeks now about the importance of memorizing Scripture. And I mentioned a couple weeks ago, we are, are, some of our folks at church worked hard in getting down a narrow list of 50 verses we really think everyone at Cross City should memorize. Um, ben Roth, are you here this morning? Okay. So he <laughs> wow, call him out. Um, <laughs> So, I, but I okay, this is Ben Roth. So, uh, Ben and I were talking, and Ben's going to memorize those 50. And he wants to invite any of you guys who want to join in, join in with him on memorizing that. I think he'll probably do it in about four months. I, that's really not that much. I know it sounds kind of weird, uh, but the Awana kids all of this land are smoking that all day. So, um, so in about three to four months, we're going to try to memorize all 50 of those verses. And would encourage you guys, just contact us. We'll connect you with Ben Roth. If you want to be in that little journey and memorize, get those 50 verses locked away. You probably know half of them already, and if you don't, your kids do. And so um, they're really good verses. We really encourage you to get those verses down as a foundational packet of verses to memorize so that you can deploy them in your heart in your moments of temptation because you need the strength that God gives. All right? Verse 9. 
And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said, Be gone, Satan. So likely, Satan could do this. Satan is the god of this world. He rules this world. He rules this world through lieutenants. We would probably call them demons. Uh, we understand them to be angels that are fallen. And so he, has, he is the god of this world. While Christ is reigns over all things at this time, there is the god of this world. So he has those authorities that he probably could give them if only Christ would fall down and worship him. A very interesting thing. We'll come back to that word. And then Jesus says, be gone to him. Literally, go. Go. Um, different than what he says to Peter. You remember when Peter is, is rebuking Jesus because he didn't like what Jesus said, and he said, get behind me? This is different. This is go away. This is similar to what he says to people that said, but Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do this? And he goes, I mean, it's terribly sad words. Depart from me. I never knew you. Um, this go is sad. I mean, this go is good because uh, Satan needs to go, but this go here is not casual. To hear Jesus, who is the one who says, come, right? It's, it's so interesting. The, the Spirit says, come in Revelation. The church says, come. Jesus says, come in Revelation. But here he says, go to Satan. And ultimately, if you will not come, he will say, go. You're on one piece of the spectrum of that. Like, will you be a comer or will you be a goer? Because one of those things will be said to you, and right now it's a summon to come. It's an invitation to come. I just don't know where you're at. I don't know what you're thinking. I know most of us here in the room have come to Jesus by his grace. But if you have not come to Jesus, uh, please, please hold his invitation before you hear his command. Um, hold his invitation. Come to him. Don't, don't wait for the words of depart from me, for I never knew you. So Jesus said, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So interestingly, immediately, temptations one and two, the real promises are granted to Jesus, right? Jesus has food, and he has angels, right? The, the temptation two was like, Hey, throw yourself off the temple, and angels will take care of you. And we see our, our, here when Satan leaves, we already see this. He is now taken care of, and angels are ministering to him. But the third, the Father will provide in the future. So let's circle back. Why this temptation? If the first temptation was hunger, and the second temptation was glory and name, here's the third temptation. It's rule or dominion, but why? And this is where, I'm sorry, Men's Retreat came, and I just kind of ran out of time to make some slides. So you just kind of listen to me. Um, Jesus was the Messiah. The anointed one. He was the prophesied one. He would be the king, the redeeming king. And he's prophesied in the Old Testament. They were all waiting for him. We hear more about what happens in the future in the book of Revelation. In the Old Testament, um, that, that Messiah would known that he would be not just a rescuer, but a king. And they really liked that idea. Um, the people of Israel were not so much interested in heart salvation at this time. They liked the idea of rescue via kingship they like a good rule a good reign a guy who get the bad guys off their back and would really really take care of them through rule and for reign but it's prophesied that he would actually rule overall so so what's happening is um, psalm 110 is being quoted the lord says to my lord sit at my right hand until i make your enemies a footstool or thinking of in psalm chapter 2 verses 8 to 12 another way the prophecy is made of the of the messiah Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. 
You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise and be warned, O rulers of earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoicing and trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in Him. Further on, Daniel, that's our Old Testament book. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like the Son of Man. He came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the people, all the nations and languages should serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So Old Testament is talking about the Messiah someday being a king who would be king over all things and that all lands and all kings actually at that time owe their allegiance to that king who would come. Further on in the book of Revelation, we really see this unfolded since we know who the Messiah is. He's Jesus now. Um, in Revelation eleven fifteen, it says, The seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there was a loud voice in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the, wo of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So in the, in, the, in, the, in, in, in the book of Revelation, we see the fulfillment of these prophecies of the Old Testament, that Jesus is the universal reigning king, and Jesus knew what he's up to. Here's a few words of Jesus. In John 18, Jesus answered, My kingdom, meaning he's a king, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. And then, after dying and rising again, there's a shift. There's something's been inaugurated at this point. That kingdom, though Christ didn't have the dominion at the time of the temptation, by the time he dies and rises again, there's been a shift. We find it in Matthew 8, 28. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. It's the preceding statement right before the Great Commission where he sends us all out to make disciples, right? Teaching them, baptizing them, going out to them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to make disciples of the nations. But that is based on the fact that Christ had been given the authority. So there's two things to think about this. Number one, uh, why is this temptation? The temptation is there because Satan knew who Jesus was. He was the king. But he, what he's pushing into was he's pushing into the timing of it. He's like, you're that king. You have that right. Take the kingship now. Have dominion now. So once again, and actually parallel with all three of them, Satan is offering, tempting Jesus to take something that he knows and Jesus knows that Jesus will get. Jesus will get bread. Jesus will be ministered to by angels. Jesus will have dominion. The issue is timing. The issue is timing. Satan is saying, the Father doesn't have a right timing. You, Jesus, can determine a better timing. But Jesus, the Son, is in perfect submission to the Father. So he knows the timing is not his. The timing is the Father's. So he pushes in on this. So just like the first two temptations, Satan pitched to Jesus something that God would give them. He just pitched a different and a better, wiser timing. He pitched an immediate, isolated gratification over a delayed and supreme satisfaction. But also, it's very important for us as believers to know, Jesus, he's not just your, your personal Savior. You are swept up into Jesus. Jesus is the massive and glorious and good king. This is what our great king is doing. Our great king is taking dominion over all things. It says in the text, back in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 24, 
and then the end comes and when he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father after destroying every rule and every authority of power for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. So there's this time right now where Christ has been given authority but the world is being put under subjection under him and we wait for that time. But in that time, we as followers, we need to know what Jesus is up to. We really need to know what he's up to. It's not just simply about giving people the golden tram ticket when they die to go have bliss forever. We are drawn to the king. We need to know what his heart is, and we need to know what his mission is. The second thing I'd like to point out today is Jesus, quote, shows his deity. Jesus, quote, shows his deity. In the middle of this, Jesus says, you shall worship God alone. And as Jesus correctly quotes that command from Deuteronomy chapter 6, that God has forbidden worship of anyone or anything rather than God, he's setting up a fundamental truth. God alone is worshipped. God alone is set apart as ultimate and as supreme. But there's a really interesting thing in this. Um, we see by reading the rest of the New Testament that this is upheld. We see in Revelation, there's actually some really neat things. So this guy named John, he's like Jesus', Jesus BFF. And he's in Revelation, and he's walked with Jesus through this world. He's seen him face to face, right? He's leaned back on Jesus, right, to talk to him. Um, John, particularly uniquely, for some reason, uh, waits most of his life to write his books. Um, he writes the Gospel of John. He writes the book of Revelation. He writes 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. So if you're new to Christianity, I know it can be really confused. When you've got a John that is first, but you've got a 1 John, and 2 and 3 John, I usually have to roll with it. It's that way, okay? So, um, so we got five books written by John. He's written all of his books towards the end of his life. They're the last books probably written in the New Testament. And so this one, who is the good friend of Jesus, who's walked with Jesus, who probably knows Jesus maybe better than any other believer, encounters Jesus in Revelation and falls over like a dead man because Jesus is glorified. And, they, and he sees Jesus for who he really is. And not only is he so glorified, but everything around him is so stunningly amazed that it has disoriented John's senses. And so John runs into one of um, John runs into one of Jesus's angels and tries to worship him. And the angel says, "Don't do this, for I too am a fellow servant. Like worship God alone." So in, in the book of Revelation, we see when a person tries to worship an angel, an angel, a, a Big, massive one, right? They're like, no, 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 up, 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 don't, don't worship me. I'm just an angel here, my fellow servant of yours. Worship God alone. So we see God command the Old Testament. We see Jesus reiterate it in Matthew chapter 4. We see it happen by angels rejecting worship holy-wise in Revelation. But then we see some really amazing things. We see the Father in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 6 says this, Again, when he brings the firstborn, Jesus, into the world, he says, let, let all God's angels worship him. So here's the Father telling the angels who say, we don't worship anyone but God. The Father commands the angels to worship the Son. So that's a big shift. And then on top of that, Jesus receives worship on earth and doesn't push it back. If he was not God himself to receive worship and not push it back, it was an act of blasphemy. And counter worship. So we see the whole worship issue and how the Son is worshiped, how the Father commands us to worship the Son, commands the angels to worship the Son, how Jesus takes the worship of man, demonstrates that Jesus himself, while he is man, he is fully God and one to be worshiped. Jesus is upholding the worship of God alone while welcoming worship to demonstrate himself that he and the Father have declared that he was God. An interesting, kind of neat thing, too, is um, I think the, the, uh, the 
the three temptations of Jesus, they're, they're really kind of a stunning study. They're really complex. And one of the last layers on it, which is kind of sneaky, is first layer, Satan gives his temptations. Second layer, Jesus speaks back the reasons from the Old Testament why Jesus will not be dissuaded from following the Father. Um, but then all of Jesus' answers are Easter eggs. He goes, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And you are talking to the bread of heaven and the word of God. And the second one, right? He's saying, you shall not test the Lord your God. And right now, Satan, you are testing the Lord your God. And the third one, worship God alone. Satan, I can't bow down and worship you. You should be worshiping God alone. He should be bowing at the feet of this Jesus. And so just layers in this temptation that are really cool, really amazing things. But the upholding of God's worship, the worship of God alone, demonstrates that Jesus himself is God. My final piece today, and I hope I can track with this. This was a bend last night as I was praying through the sermon. Um, comes to do with worship. Um, we see that, that, that that's, the, that's what Satan asked for. He says, fall down and worship me. I'll give you all this. I'll give you all these nations and all their glory, the goodness of them. If you fall down and worship me, Worship was what he wanted, and Jesus responded, well, worship is what you're not getting because worship alone belongs to the Lord. So the term worship is kind of broad. When we first start hearing the word worship, we usually think it has to do with songs, right? And then we start reading our Bibles. We're like, okay, worship way bigger, right? Um, a sacrifice of praise, a sacrifice of worship. Worship is everything that we do. Broadly, it's the embracing of something or someone is ultimately supreme and worthy of all else being at its disposal, and we as people are always worshiping something, all the time. Something is truly trustworthy, and something is truly satisfying, something is truly authoritative. We often talk about this here in our church, and everywhere where the gospel is really broken out in churches. We talk worship all the time, because it's a fundamental way we describe like what's captured our attention. But there's a second way we talk about worship that's very, very legitimate. And I want to go back to your first definition. Times of singing. Uh, using both your, your words, your voice, your body in in adorning this worship and he literally calls this worship sometimes there's these words bound before like fall down and worship or come and worship because there's an action it's not just simply your worldview it's not just dedication of your life it is this action of adorning the lord through these ceremonies a ceremonial act designed to show and promote the absolute superiority of something or someone and namely here god the only god is absolute and full of glory, and full of wonder, and God calls us to worship Him with our whole body, but also with these ceremonial acts. And the thing that's interesting is, I'll put it this way, worship is coast to coast. So if you, if you remember, it's the whole of who you are. Uh, if, do we remember, okay, this is a little drill and kill here, the first and greatest commandment is, say it with me, and see if you can remember my style, okay? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and all your soul, and all your muchness. Okay, so that's a straight quote out of the Hebrew. That last word there, muchness, is literally muchness. To the degree that you are, worship the Lord with that. There can be no part of your life, no part of your finances, no part of your relationships, no part of your sexuality, no part of anything where the love of God does not extend to. That part, no part where that part's mine. If, if you got a that part's mine, the whole thing is yours, and it's not a love for the Lord. And so this muchness idea really plays into all of even the body. All of even the body. 
And um, I found you all doing this in the text. You're worshiping with your bodies. It's actually in, uh, in Revelation, um, Revelation 5, 11 to 14. It's a future vi- vision. I think we're all stuffed right there in the text. Um, myriads and myriads and myriads of worshipers gathering around the Lord. And there's these big creatures that God has and tons of angels, which, uh, interesting tidbit, I was doing some Devo time this week in the end of Revelation. And uh, I, I guess I'd seen this before, it escaped my mind. Um, but in Revelation, there's, there's, there's visions of angels, like, all of a sudden just getting really big. And they have, like, one foot on the sea, and boom, one foot on the land, right? They're kind of blown up. But then you get to Revelation towards the end, and, and, and um, the bride of God's coming down to Dorn. All of us, we're coming down to Dorn. There's the New Jerusalem, and uh, there's this moment of measuring. I don't g- quite get it, but there's this moment of, like, physical measuring, right, where, where this angel assists uh, John had taken a measurement of, of, of the New Jerusalem and then a special measurement of the wall. And he says it's 144,000 cubits, uh, the cubits of a man. And it says in parentheses, which is also the, the same measurement of an angel. Like, well, that's funny. So a cubit is like from the tip of your finger here to there, generally 18 inches if you're, unless you're a little bit stumpy or extra big. Um, 18 inches is a, is a standard measurement for humanity, the cubit. But evidently, that's how the angels roll too. They got the same like, Unless they have really short forearms or big forearms, they're probably roughly the same size as us when they're given bodily form. That was for free. That's in Revelation. <laughs> so here you are in Revelation 5, 11 to 14, and, and you brothers and sisters, know Jesus, you have lost your mind. The God of heaven is being unfolded. The Lamb there is in front of us all, and, and the strongest of us, the elders, the angels, they are bowing down, casting their crowns. There is like no cool card being played in the room. Everyone has lost themselves. And that's you. And that's you perfected. So in the moment you come to know Jesus, you are perfected by the work of Jesus. You are forgiven and the righteousness of God is given to you. It's in your record. And then when you keel over dead or the Lord returns, you will be perfected like that. That will be the actuality of you. You won't struggle with sin anymore. You're going to be, we're going to be like him. And there's that process we call glorification, that process between, well, I'm going to do a verse over here. Here's, here's salvation, right, justification. Here's glorification. And the process between justification, the moment you come to know Jesus, and glorification, the moment you die, is this very bumpy thing called sanctification, right? And what's happening is that we are being made to look more and more and more like Jesus, called sanctification, or another way that, that uh, Scott Rutan called it, spiritual formation. We're being changed into the likeness of Jesus, and he keeps doing it. If he's done any of it, he's going to keep doing it. He's going to change us more and more and more into his likeness. And how much do you get changed? You start all the way. You look like this. We find you on your face, casting crowns in, in heaven, um, having lost yourself at the glories and wonders who Jesus is. So as Rutan taught us yesterday about spiritual formation, ladies, he did, trust me, that God is forming us in the image of Christ, our ultimate selves. It's a process. But I think our concepts of transformation are really, really off a lot of times. Like, like maybe our, our perceptions of just how much you can change us. I think we're, we only see it like maybe 25% of what it really is, or maybe 5 or maybe an, a percent of really what he would do. We often think, well, he'll get me to quit sleeping around. He'll get me to quit swearing, and I'll start tithing or something like that, and I jump in on the facilities team. And I share, my, I share the gospel three times a year. And, you know, and then he, he brings me up to snuff. I quit stinking. And that is good. That is not spiritual formation. That is not Christ shaping us. Those are, those are starting moves, of course. 
But Christ is changing us from glory to glory to glory. And we have such low views of what that might look like. It's really sad, but it's hard for our minds to envision it. When we see pictures in the New Testament about us being the heirs of all things, us having bodies like him, us ruling and reigning, us judging angels, some of those things are just so far out there that uh, it's like, you know, it's try, trying to hug a bus coming by. You're like, you just, it just kind of goes by, right? It's like too big, and so we don't know how to deal with it. So it's like, I'll just go back to watching Netflix. And so I think it's hard for us to grasp. Um, and I, last night as I was praying this through, I was in my room at men's retreat, and I heard a noise. And that noise came from the room where the big OSU game was being played. Um, and it was a thriller. It was a roller coaster. It was up and down. It really got us all. Um, and those of you guys that weren't there were probably, most of you were here. I was imagining what was being happening in my house um, or my in-laws or wherever they were at. Like, that game was, was, was alive, right? And, uh, and people were losing themselves. They were falling on their knees and casting crowns. Um, um, and it brought out our passionate selves. Okay, I wanted to give a disclaimer here. I want to walk, walk a tight line for a moment with, with all seriousness. And now I can already see the smile on our faces. Especially you. You know what I'm talking about. Like, um, I, I want to walk a tight line because on both sides of this are funny and, and maybe a little bit of embarrassment. Okay? And I don't, want, I don't want to go into funny any more than I have. And I don't want to go into embarrassment. I want to go into potential. Um, last night, as that noise came out of that building, through a campground, through walls into my building, what that noise was, was OSU had just scored um, its only touchdown in the middle of the game. Man, it just it brought out emotions. Again, again uh, please don't, don't go with me into to laughter. Don't go with me into shame or whatever. It really, it, it caught those guys. I wasn't there. I was in the room. It really caught them. And it, and it caught my attention as I was praying, like, how much it did catch us. How much it really grabbed us at the center. And as I'm telling you guys, I think that we have a hard time understanding just how much God will form us and transform us in the likeness of him and how low that bar is. I just want to challenge our thoughts a little bit from our men's retreat last night about the amazing gift of sport. And I mean this. Stay on the type line with me. Just stay here for a second. Sports is an amazing gift of God. It's like a sandbox. And when I say a sandbox, I mean it's, a, it's, a, it's an arena where things can be tried out. We can see the potential of things without great effect a rather innocent place to, to test our hearts and our life. That's what sports is. And it's so unique and powerful. It shows us our true selves, our true potentials. That it just pulls out of us what's already there in a way that hardly anything else does. Outside of war, I would never hear men yell like that. If you gave a man a $10,000 check, I'm telling you, he wouldn't yell like that. Maybe at a $25,000 check or something like that, but he's just not going to yell like that. But so many men yell like that. And we do all across, especially in Ohio here, when sports, like we buy in this way, like it pulls it out of us. And uh, there's a potential showing gift of sports that shows us the potential intensity of our personal passions, 
our labor, our grit, our physical expressions of our passions. Because right now when we think, okay, what does it mean for, for Christ to like transform me? I think we have just slow, such low hopes. But maybe God has given us the gift of sport to show you, oh, maybe there's just so much more to you when you really are passionate. Look how passionate you can be. Look how hardworking you can be. Look how much money you can drop on your kid in their sport. Look how you will rearrange all of heaven and earth and all schedules when something really important for the family happens. And I'm not, again, away from shame, away from funniness. The reality is, look at what is pulled out of us. Look at how strong we are through this gift of sport. And that's just our flesh. That's not even the supernatural works of the Spirit. It's just showing you who you are. And here's the reality. In heaven, it's going to be a glorified you. You aren't gone. It's still you. You are just glorified. And so sport is this amazing thing. If we would actually maybe just listen to it, don't get ashamed by it, don't laugh it off, but look at it. And maybe if you're not a sportsy person, look at the people around you. Like as, as they do get very excited, look at what it pulls out of us that's already right there. Our reactions and emotions flow deep within us, and they are overflowing out of generosity, I mean, out of genuinely felt and believed values. Okay, again, tightrope. No shame, no guilt, no funny. Right now, when people come to Christ, we care, but we aren't that excited. Uh, we saw the real excitement when we don't, we saw the real excitement when, when our team scores that first touchdown. Um, no shame, no funny, no guilt. The reality is we saw what we looked like when we were really excited. That wasn't even the winning touchdown. That was the middle touchdown. Um, I've never, ever been around where a person has come to know Jesus and it elicited that kind of response from God's people, ever. No shame, no guilt. I'm just saying, look at what it looks like when we really care. Uh, when we, when last night, moments ahead, I, I, I really enjoyed it. I just enjoyed the whole dynamic of it. I saw... Um, and not only the joys of this, I saw um, when the opponents were sent packing to their buses, there's a certain joy we find in their sad defeat. <laughs> um, but don't we? Uh, th- there was not only like, woohoo, woohoo, I also heard a lot of like, you're lame! <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff, right? Because uh, there was like a, a vindication of victory over the thing. And we don't yet feel or emote that way when we hear about Satan being hurled headfirst in the lake of fire. The one who's caused millions of lives lost. And every horrible thing flows from him. But we read it, we don't get that excited. We just can't see it, you know? We just can't see it. We're, we're too small. Can't see it yet. But we will someday, because we'll be glorified on that day. And so when he gets thrown in the lake of fire, um, whatever happened last night is going to hold a candle to as we righteously, joyfully rejoice in the judgment of Satan. Without an ounce of sin, but happily see God give him his full fill. So I want to say, brothers and sisters, let sport be a tutor to us for a minute. Let it draw out of you just how big your heart and your passion really are. Just the you part, even aside from how the Spirit of God does it. Look at what you really look like when you're passionate. Looks like what look like what you really are when you really care, when you really belong to this nation of people that quite frankly don't know who you are. You can give all your money and die for them, and they would never care. The, the, the nation goes on, right? But you, but you feel as like to belong to the glory of that kingdom, right? Feel that. It's, it's good. It's, it's sweet. See how you feel about real victory, what it means for you to really work hard. See what it looks like when you really rejoice, when you're really, 
there was, a, there was a compulsion to rally last night. When people got done jumping and jumping and jumping, there was a need to chest bump others. Um, I, I, and some of us that were a little more reserved, kind of going Baptist in the corner or something like that, um, th- someone chased me down and repeatedly high-fived me in the corner. Like, <laughs> they felt this need because it was so good and sweet. Truly, away from all of our funnies and everything again, it was so good, they thought it was so good, that, that it's right for everyone to participate in it. Like, there's so much realness in it. So, look at what it looks like when you really rejoice, when you're really compelled to rally others, when you're really compelled to research and exegete in between the points. So, sports is a gracious tool. It's a gracious tool to expand our perceptions just how really we really are. And may God give us help, maybe men, women, to actually raise the bar, like let Christ form you into his image and by his spirit so much more than you actually are now but when you think about do i really love the lord use this gift this tool to go like is it really stirring me because i know what i looked like when it's really stirred it was at the end of the osu game i know it looks like my brother's sister's really stirred it was at the end of the osu game oh it was low for a couple of moments there and then oh it was high for a couple of moments there um and we saw it because it was really us. So I encourage you, brothers, don't make fun of it. Don't blow it off. Don't have shame for it. Just notice how far we have yet to grow. And let's step into the Spirit, asking Him to help us grow. We were challenged by, by disciplining ourselves under the power of the Spirit at men's retreat to go to the Lord and find out how does He want us to discipline ourselves to shape so we will stand in the ways of grace and grow in the Word of God and grow in prayer and grow in fellowship. So let's grow. Let's keep growing, because right now there's a bunch of Christians in Eritrea stuffed in storage containers, imprisoned in there in the desert, and we may not even know about it. And when we read about it, we just scroll. But may God give us eyes to see, because that's really what we need. We need eyes to see. The issue isn't our emoting. The issue is our perception. We need the eyes of the Lord to see that which is true and real and for it makes sense to our hearts. So let's push towards the Lord, ask Him to change our hearts, let us transform us from glory to glory and glory as we look upon Jesus and we actually become in tune with that which is real and that which is supreme and that which is wonderful and glorious. Let Christ change us into His image, bearing our personalities and our haircuts and all the things that are ours. Brothers and sisters, I would just say, God has made us worshipers. You worship God alone, but that means the whole of you, not just a little bit of acclamation, the whole of you. So may God give us all the ability to not have the low hopes of Christ's likeness. May we not have the low hopes of spiritual transformation, but go big. Because I'm just telling you, the glories of who you are in Revelation chapter 5 are nearly unrecognizable. But God will take you towards that end as you go through your life. If you cast yourself on him, he will change our hearts. And as he changes our hearts, he will change the things that come out of us. You will find yourself all of a sudden stirred by the beauty of something that once didn't stir you. Or once it annoyed you or repulsed you, all of a sudden you find loveliness. And we see those things. I see that in you. I felt it in myself this morning as I was driving, as I was reflecting. And there's a couple of you in mind. I'm not going to tell you who you are. But like, it just brought me to tears. Like, like you have been transformed. Your heart once found um, Christ detestable, <coughs> his ways not worthy. And that's different now. You love him. But he's only started, and every bit of it's beautiful. So 
Focus your heart to worship the Lord. Use the disciplines of word, prayer, church, family, mission to feed this growth. Knock off the lame, low curve of like what it means to be transformed in Jesus. Let him go huge on you. Let sports maybe bring some of this out of just how hot you really are in your soul and what you really care about. And until you naturally worship freely physically, use your body physically to help pull your heart towards the Lord. So let's pray. Uh, Father, I, I thank you for the text. I thank you for the temptations of Jesus. I thank you for Jesus, you never giving into it. I thank you for you beautifully and perfectly enduring those temptations, casting Satan aside with the beautiful word of God. May you stir in our hearts to store it up and wield it with power and trust. Jesus, thank you for enduring the temptations. Thank you for being what we could not be. Thank you for being the king who does rule and who has all the nations being made your footstool. We thank you for being that great king. And Father, we just pray for the authentic, deep work of your spirit to make us worship from glory to glory to glory to glory. And we give you thanks for every bit of it that you've done in us because you've done so much. Man, you've done so, so much. Please do more, and please do more, and please do more. And may our kids here at this church have the joy of seeing adults like again and again and again ratchet it up into the likeness of Jesus. Um, bizarrely powerful and wonderful people of Jesus, both male and female, old and young. May their eyes behold it. May it be the most wonderful thing we've seen on this earth. Amen.